Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, blessing the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The word of the Lord. All right, we're going to do this one more time. How are we doing today? Yes, that's good. Um, my name is Jake. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm going to start out today, we're going to kick it into high gear immediately, and uh, we're going to play a little game. So I'm going to sing the first line of something, and I want you to complete it, all right? So I'm going to sing the first part, I want you to sing the last part, cool? All right, here we go. If you're happy and you know it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Uh-huh, you got it. Um, we were singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Yep, that's the one. Who knows all the lyrics to American Pie? Anybody? No one. Not even Don McLean. Um, <laughs> so how long has it been since you've heard those songs? Like for me, I don't think I've heard a Kit Kat commercial in like five years. I, don't, I know I haven't heard American Pie in at least a couple. Um, I have a kid, so I might have heard If You're Happy and You Know It, but... How is it that we who have not heard these songs in maybe years can still recall it like that? How does that work? Well, music and poetry, and by the way, that Kit Kat jingle is nothing short of pure poetry. Um, music and poetry have a way of sinking themselves deep into our minds and our hearts, right? It has a way of, of uh, being instantly recallable. Um, and because music uh, it can become so deeply entrenched within us, it stays with us for a really long time. Um, in some ways, uh, we, we already know about this, right? So emotionally and mentally, songs get deeply entrenched within you. Emotionally, I bet some of you, if you hear a certain song, it reminds you of maybe your first dance uh, with somebody or maybe your first kiss or your graduation, right? We have music that associates itself with some of our uh, emotional memories, right? It can also be, uh, make us interact with the mind a lot more as well. Like we use this to our... Uh, advantage in society already. How did you learn the ABCs? 
I'm assuming you as a three-year-old did not sit there with intense focus on these strange characters. Just, I'm going to memorize these in order. No, you had a song, right? Everyone had a song that we used to learn the ABCs. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, we learned a song that would uh, teach us the states in alphabetical order, right? And I still remember it to this day. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Yeah, I still remember that all these years later. We have used this to be able to recall things. That's how we use music sometimes because it makes it more easily recallable. It helps to anchor these facts and these feelings deep within us so that we don't lose them. That's what music and poetry do. Now, our series right now is in the Psalms, and the Psalms are the song book, the poetry book of the Bible, right? Um, over the years, the Israelites collected a lot of their, their uh, poetry, a lot of their music into this book called the Psalms. And to the Jewish people over the millennia, these Psalms would be as instantly recallable to them as the ABCs are to us, as a Kit Kat jingle is to us. Like, they would be able to say, okay, Psalm 103, boom, they can just sing it out, Right? So King David wrote this psalm that we're going to talk about today, Psalm 103. Now, he wrote a lot of the psalms, not all of them, but a lot of them. He happened to write this one. And he starts out this psalm by singing to himself, right? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his own soul. He's saying, my soul, praise the Lord, my soul, don't forget the benefits of God. He's trying to guide his own emotions and thoughts. That's what he's doing here with this psalm. Now, that's one of the themes that you see all the way throughout the psalms. A lot of them start out where the singer is in peril, is uh, anxious, is fearful, is sorrowful. The singer starts out in a bad way, and over the course of the psalm, by the end, they're praising the Lord and remembering his goodness. And so what the psalms are teaching us, they're formative. They're teaching us to, to take our emotions when we're in chaos, when we're in hardship, and to be able to guide them to be able to guide them toward trusting God again. Now, in this psalm, David absolutely recognizes that our hearts are prone to wander, right? Our hearts are prone to follow selfishness and pride, uh, to follow sin, to be confused in hard times. And he wants to be able to redirect his heart through these words back to trusting God. He wants to be able to remind himself of who God really is, and that's the thing we're going to talk about a lot through today. We need to be able to remember who God is and who we are. Right? We get confused. Uh, we go through hardship, and it's hard to see. We're blinded. So we need to be able to remember who God is and who we are. Now, there's a lot of voices vying for your attention at all times, right? If you have a little kid, you know about this. Mom, 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 dad, dad, right? Voices always vying for your attention. You've got your kids, maybe a spouse, uh, your friends, your family, advertisements everywhere. Everyone wants a piece of your attention, but whose voice do you really listen to the most? Your own, right? You may not always be able to talk to yourself the most, but the one that you believe the most is your own voice. It's that voice that rings the truth. So in the midst of chaos, you need to be able to talk to yourself, to recenter yourself, to remind yourself of the truth and to guide your emotions and thoughts back in the way that they need to go. And like we said, if you're going to have something deeply entrenched in your heart and mind, music is a really good way to do it. That's what David's using here. So he is writing this song to help himself, to remind himself of what the truth is when times are the hardest, when he's tempted to be uh, a wandering, uh, confused, despairing man. He wants to be able to remind himself of the truth and be recentered and reguided. 
And David actually does this by quoting scripture. So if you see a couple verses down, a few verses down, uh, one of the things he says is, uh, God made himself known by his acts to Moses. And so he's going to actually quote from uh, the part of the Bible that Moses is in, Exodus 34. So he's getting ready, the next few lines after that, he's going to quote Exodus 34. And that, hey, that seems like a really good idea. If you're going to recenter yourself on who God is, it seems like a good idea to use Scripture to do it, right? To memorize Scripture, to have it entrenched within your heart, deep down. And better yet, in this particular Scripture, this is God himself speaking. Uh, in this particular section, he's saying to Moses, listen, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you what I'm like. So if we're going to try to remember who God is, seems like a good idea that we would uh, pay attention to God's own words about himself. So that's what David is doing here. Um, now, let's go to the book of Exodus, right? If we're going to understand this psalm, we really need to know what this book is saying in this moment, right? If we're going to understand the psalm, we need to understand what he's quoting, so quick overview, in the book of Exodus, uh, the Bible says that the, the Israelites, and back even a little bit further, uh, the Israelites were the descendants of a man named Abraham, right? And God told Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. Your family is going to be my people, my special people. And then so through some circumstances after that, the Israelite people became slaves in Egypt, and they were enslaved to the Egyptians. Uh, it says that they were in bondage, and they cried out to God, and he had compassion on them. And so he sends his prophet Moses, and Moses goes down to Egypt, and through a series of miraculous events, uh, mighty acts that God works, the Israelites get freed from their slavery. And now all of a sudden they're, they're free, they're out of Egypt. But the problem with that is that they have been slaves for most of their lives, for generations upon generations. The only way they know is slavery. They don't know how to be a functioning civilization. They don't know how to be a free people. And so God, as a gift to them, he says, I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to put my law down in writing, and that way you can follow it. It's going to be good for you. It's going to help you to bless each other, to be good to each other. It's going to help you to be the kind of humanity that I have always desired humanity to be. And through that, you, you can even go and use this law to bless the entire world. This is going to be my gift to you. And so he says to Moses, their leader, Moses, I want you to come up on this mountain, bring two stone tablets. I'm going to put in writing my law as a gift to your people. So Moses does it. He goes up on the mountain. He brings two stone tablets. God writes down what we call the Ten Commandments. He writes down his law, and Moses brings it back down to his people. He's pretty psyched. He's pretty pumped. But what does he find when he gets down to the bottom of the mountain? Well, the Israelite people had grown restless. They had grown wandering in their hearts, and they had decided that they were tired of waiting on this new God of theirs. And so they took all their gold, and they melted it down, and they forged it into this statue of a calf, and they started worshiping it. And so Moses comes back down after having just met with God on a mountain and being given this law as a gift, and he comes back down, and what does he find? He finds all the Israelites having an orgy around this golden calf. So what you're telling me is that God has miraculously, like through crazy miracles, mighty acts, has just freed this people, has been so good and kind to them and gracious, and then what do they do the second that they get bored? They leave him, and they worship an idol. I would like to say that sounds ridiculous, but doesn't it ring a little bit true in our own lives? Friends, I don't think we're any different than the Israelites here. For many of us, God has freed us from slavery to sin. We were, we were lost people. 
We were enslaved to our addictions and our passions, and God has shown us better ways, and he's freed us. He's been so good to us. He's shown us his kindness. He's shown us his goodness. He's offered us lives of prosperity and joy. But we, like the Israelites, grow restless. At some point, we stop trusting him. At some point, we decide that we're going to, like the Israelites, we're going to worship idols. We're going to look to created things to satisfy us, to give us hope, to give us meaning. We turn to created things like sex, like positions of power, uh, like money, like family. We expect those things to be better for us than God. We don't trust that he is really all that good in the end. Friends, there's a sickness in our hearts. It's a sickness that causes us to be driven away from God. It's the same sickness that was in the Israelites when they worshiped the golden calf. That same sickness is in us. It's a sickness of sin. So, like I said, our main things today, we're going to try and figure out who God is and who we are. That's what we need to remember. And friends, that is the uncomfortable truth about us. That's who we are. There's a hard look in the mirror, but it's the truth. We are a sick people. We are a an unfaithful and wandering people. We are a restless people. We are a mistrusted people. That's who we are by nature. So back to the Exodus story. So Moses comes down from the mountain, and he sees his people worshiping this golden calf, and he gets understandably angry. And he gets so angry that he's got these two stone tablets, and he just throws them on the ground and breaks them. And then he comes down, he yells at the Israelite people, and he takes this gold calf that they've made, and he burns it down until it's a bunch of ashes. Then he spreads the ashes out on a bunch of water, and he makes them drink the water. That's how angry he is. He's making all the Israelite people drink this gold ash water. These people have been fools. And Moses was really angry. The scriptures say that God was really angry with it. He'd been really good to them, and they'd betrayed him. But then we get to Exodus 34, and that's the the passage that David is quoting from. And in Exodus 34, God tells Moses, he said, I want you to cut out two more stone tablets, and I want you to come back up the mountain. And I'm going to give you the law again as a gift and a blessing to the people of Israel. Now, that's not immediately how I would think the story would go. I would think if God, the God of the universe, was so gracious and good to you, and you so quickly betrayed him, I would think that would be one and done, right? It's over after that. I don't have any more chances if he's going to be that good and I screwed up that bad. But that's not the way that this God works. He basically has said, even though you have given up on me, people of Israel, I'm not giving up on you. I'm intent on blessing you. And I'm going to give you this law. He shows them mercy. Now back to our psalm. So King David, once again, is quoting this, uh, this passage. And he's not much different than us. He's not much different than his ancestors, the Israelites, and their golden calf. We read that many times in his own life, David uh, wandered from the Lord, uh, that he rebelled against God, uh, that he had been driven by his passions and his desires and his idolatries, that he had been driven by sex and power and family, very same things as us. And subsequently, this is a guy who experienced a lot of hardship and depression in his life. There was Uh, times when he was on the run for years. People were trying to kill him for years, and he just had to keep running. There was a time after he came to power when his own son tried to kill him. There was a time when he had an affair with a woman and got her pregnant, and in the end, to deal with it, uh, he killed her husband. And there was a time after that where she got pregnant, and the baby was born, 
and died in infancy. And it broke his heart. This is a man who knows hardship. He knows what it's like to be uh, a sinner, to be uh, sorrowful, to be scared, to be anxious. And we read that all throughout the Psalms. He had a hard life, and he, he writes poetry about it all throughout the Psalms. There are Psalms where he really is sorrowful over his sin. He's sorry for what he's done. And he cries out to God in repentance. There are Psalms where he is anxious and he is afraid. There are Psalms of lament, like the one Dan preached on last week, where he's, he's sorrowful. He feels like God is far away. He feels like things can't get any worse. Even the Psalm right before this, Psalm 102, has some elements of lament in it. There are a million reasons why he might need to write this Psalm, Psalm 103. But the point is, that in the times of hardship, of chaos, of difficulty, he needs to be able to remind himself of the truth of who God is and who he is. And that's why he's writing the song. When he's blinded by hardship and sin, he needs to be able to remind himself that there is a greater story at play, and he needs to pull himself back to reality. So we're saying that we need to remember in those times, those chaotic, hard times, who who we are and who God is. The question is now, who is God? What is he like? What truth are we going to pull ourselves back to? What truth are we going to recenter around? What truth are we going to guide our emotions and our feelings with? Well, in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, this is, this is the part of Exodus where God is giving Moses the law for the second time, where he's essentially saying, I'm not giving up on the people of Israel. He's getting ready to give the law for the second time, and he passes by Moses, and he says, Moses, just for the record, I'm going to tell you who I am. This is what I'm like. I'm going to give you a description of myself that I want you to hear. This is the God that you're serving. And here's what he says. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children. Now let's look at the, David, like I said, quotes that passage. So let's look at David's version here in Psalm 103. Really, really close. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he, will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's beautiful. When we hear those descriptions of God and his love and his mercy and his goodness, how can we not be blown away, be in awe of this God? If that's the way that God treats us, here's the question, why do we still continually turn to sin? If we hear that, that beautiful description of God, how does that not cure the sickness in our hearts that causes us to get restless and to wander? How is it that we can hear the goodness of God like that and still believe that we should rebel? And I think the answer is that in our heart of hearts, deep down, we hear those descriptions of God and we don't believe it. We either think, man, that is too good to be true, so it can't be true. Or in moments of, of hardship and moments of temptation, we're just blinded and we can't see those things anymore. And so we don't believe them because we've got this other thing in front of us that looks far more tempting that looks far more true than that description right there and either way 
Either way, we are unchanged and unaffected by the character of God because we don't believe it to be true. So my question today is, when you hear those descriptions of God that we just read, what objections come up in your heart? Maybe you're not a believer, and you're just coming in and you're checking this thing out. And so I want to ask you, when you hear that description of God, surely there's some objection that you think that can't be true. What, what is your objection in your heart? Maybe you've been a believer for many, many years, and you hear that, and, and you have had a facade on for a lot of years. Um, you know the right things to say. You know what you ought to believe, but somewhere deep in the shadowy corners, there lurks these objections that you've been trying to cover up and hide for years. And friends, one of the things the Psalms do is bring out our doubts so that we and God can deal with them. That's what we want to do today. What are those objections that you've been hiding? Let them come out and let the Lord deal with them today. Maybe you're like me, and mentally you read these descriptions of God, and mentally you can assent to this idea because it makes sense. It sounds good, but, but deep down, when the rubber hits the road, it's really hard to believe it. It is a struggle. So I just want to go through some of the objections that we might be facing today from ourselves. Just draw them out into the light and see how this scripture deals with them. So come into this with an open mind and open heart. That's all I'm asking. That you would let your objections to grace be met and to be affected by this scripture. So maybe you say, this can't be true. I am such a wreck and there is so much sin in my life. But what does the scripture say? The scripture says, the Lord is merciful. Hit me with that next slide. I'm such a wreck, and there is so much sin in my life. But what does the scripture say? The scripture says, the Lord is merciful. Right now, I want you to think about uh, the sin in your life. See if you can picture it. See if you can visualize it. And, and you may be a wreck. We're all wrecks, right? We don't have this. None of us have this together. We are all wrecks. And so I want you to visualize the sin in your life. What is it in your life that feels like it's burdening you right now? What is it in your life that makes you feel guilty? What is it you've done that makes you feel ashamed? Have you got it? This scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, and how far is that? That is infinitely far. They go opposite directions. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far your shame, your guilt, your sin has been removed from you. The scripture says that your guilt and your condemnation, your sin is no longer attached to you. The Lord has completely and utterly removed it. It is gone. Gone, gone. Your sin is gone gone. And you may say, but yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I've sinned so much and so greatly that I don't deserve anything from him. I've not just sinned a lot. I've, I've done some really bad things. What does the scripture say? It says the Lord does not treat us according to our sin. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Do you remember what happened when the Israelites uh, worshipped the golden calf and Moses came back? He burned it down. He turned it into ash. He put it in a bunch of water and made them drink the ash water. Because that's what we deserve. We deserve to fully taste the bitterness of our sin. 
We deserve to drink up the consequences of what we have done. That's what we deserve. What does the scripture say? It says that God doesn't treat us the way we deserve. Instead, he gives you love that is, what does it say, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Once again, that's infinite. He gives you infinite, unconditional love in return. He does not treat us according to our sin. Whatever you have done, he does not treat us according to our sin. I want you, I want you to hear this. No matter what you've done, God does not treat you like that's who you are. He has removed your sin. And now, who are you now? You are now the object of his deep affection and his infinite love. Despite what you have done, you are the object of the deep affections of the Almighty God. That's what this scripture says. And you, you may say, but I have spent most of my life in rebellion. I have been hiding and struggling with my addictions and my sins for years, and surely the Lord has given up on me by now. But what does the scripture say? It says the Lord is slow to anger. His finger is not hovering above the smite button waiting for you to mess up. The Lord is patient with you. He wants to give you grace. He wants to forgive you. He wants for you to be changed. He desperately wants those things for you, for your good. He is long-suffering and he has got all the time in the world for grace to affect you and change you. The Lord is slow to anger. And his forgiveness is still for you. And you may say, but here's the kicker. Uh, I'm so unfaithful to God because I say I love him and I say all the right things, but I keep turning to my sin. I can't stop. But what does the scripture say? It says he's abounding in steadfast love faithfulness. See, even when you are unfaithful to him, even when you are turning away from God and rebelling against him, he never stops pursuing you. He's persistent. He's been called the hound of heaven. He is unwavering in his love and his commitment to you, even as your affections wax and wane. Because even though you are unfaithful, he has enough faithfulness for the both of you. He is not leaving you. He's committed to you. Now, maybe you're not a believer today, and you read this, and your objection is uh, something more along the lines of, listen, I, I read this description about what you just said God's like. I don't think I maybe need that God so much. I'm not sure I need much of God's mercy. You see, I, I think I try to do good, and if there's a God, then he sees that my good intentions, and, and he'll accept me because of that. So what you're basically saying, just to clear that up, is that you think God should be impressed enough with you and your intentions and your actions and your efforts that you should deserve his blessings. You're saying this God that we're describing here uh, in Exodus and in the Psalm, um, you don't need much of him because you don't need much of forgiveness, mercy, grace. You don't think you need him. But I would beg you to reconsider there's a, a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's called The Great Divorce. And it's a, it's a fictionalized uh, kind of account, uh, a fanciful account, in which these people that are living in hell get to take a field trip up to heaven just to see what it's like. And so they, they take this field trip to heaven. And uh, one of the guys that is in hell 
he recognizes one of the guys in heaven. He says, wait a second, I've seen that guy before. He was a murderer. Uh, I remember him back in the day. He was a murderer. So he goes over to talk to the guy and he says, what are you doing here? How did you get here? And that begins a conversation between the two about grace and about mercy. And the murderer says, listen, I have been shown grace and you can be too. Please, join me. Come. And here's the response that the guy from hell says. He says, I, I can't. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say that I have no faults, far from it, but I've done my best all my life. I've done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. If I took my wages, I'd done my job. That's the sort of man I was. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anyone's bleeding charity. And the murderer says, then do at once. Ask for the bleeding charity because everything here is for the asking, but nothing can be bought. So friend, if that's you today, I'm begging you once again, reconsider. Come at this with an open mind and open heart. See your need. You are deeply indebted to a God who still wants to bless you. So see your need and let him fill it. See your lack and let him fix it, please. And friends, this is for all of us. Though we can't earn his love or his blessings, he's still gracious toward us. And he wants to give us every good thing. Though we mistrust him and insult him, he's still slow to anger and patient with us. Though we cannot seem to be faithful to him, he is faithful enough for the both of us. Though we have done more evil than any of us can probably remember, he still forgives our sin and wants to show us mercy. That is who God is. That is the character of the God that we're talking about. That's the character of the God we worship. Despite your objections, he does not change. And he wants you to believe him when he says he is merciful, patient, slow to anger, loving, gracious, kind. Believe him. Now, I want to conclude today by, by showing one other verse that's in here. Um, so, like we said, Psalm 103 is, a, is directly referencing this passage in Exodus 34. So it's pretty much a, a direct quote. But there's one line between the two that is very divergent. It is very different. It seems to almost be opposite. And so I want you to see these. They're both up on the screen. So David writes in Psalm 103, verse 17, he says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Well, let's look at that same part of the verse in Exodus. In Exodus, it says that he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children. So in the psalm, David talks about how God and his goodness and his righteousness is going to be passed on from generation to generation. But in Exodus, it talks about how God's anger, how the guilt of the people is going to be passed on from generation to generation. Those seem very different. So what's going on there? And the question there is, is God gracious or is he holy? Does he love mercy or does he love justice? And this is where Christianity is different than almost every other major world religion in that it takes those two things, those two questions, and says, yes, just yes, God loves justice and he loves mercy. God is gracious and he's holy. And the only way that we can see how those two things meet is in Jesus See, God is gracious towards us. He, want, he wants to forgive us. 
but there's consequences to what we've done. We have mistrusted him. We've rebelled against him. We have turned away from him. We have shunned him. We have gone our own ways in the pride of our hearts. We have done evil, and there's consequence for that. And he wants to forgive us, but the consequence of what we've done doesn't just go away. It can't just disappear. Someone has to own it. His righteous anger against our sin doesn't go away, but what does the scripture say that he has done to deal with it? Because God himself has dealt with this problem in Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is talking about Jesus, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the psalm, when the psalmist is talking about Uh, righteousness being passed on for those who keep God's commandments and keep the covenant. We haven't kept God's commandments. We haven't kept the covenant, but Jesus did. The scriptures say that Jesus perfectly trusted and obeyed God, earned every blessing that God would give him. He earned it all. He was the perfect one. He's the one that deserves righteousness forever. But Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin. That means we have earned guilt and condemnation. We've earned death for what we've done. We deserve to die for our cosmic treason. But Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin. He took the consequences of what we have done and he put it upon himself so that God could forgive us. So that God could deal with the problem once and for all of sin and be gracious toward us for eternity. The good news is that Jesus died in our place so that we can have every blessing that God can ever offer. And he did that because that is the truest form of the character of God. God is justice. He is grace. He is mercy. He is love. He is patience. He is holiness. And he does not repay us according to our sins, it says, but he removes our sin from us. Jesus. So friends, that's the truth about who God is. That's the truth about God that King David wants to be able to recall at a moment's notice when life is hard. That's the truth that God wants us to be able to recall as automatically as we can recall the ABCs, as automatically as we can recall the Kit Kat jingle. He wants us to be able to recall his character, to remember the truth about who he is, who we are, and to be guided back toward praising him and living our lives in ways that are glorifying to him and joyful for us. That's what he wants. He wants these truths sunk deep into our hearts so in the moments where we are tempted, where we are weary, anxious, guilty, condemned, sorrowful, we can be able to remind ourselves and we, like the psalmist, can say, oh my soul, speak to yourself. Oh my soul, forget not all of his benefits. The Lord is gracious and kind and good and recenter yourself. Don't be destroyed by anxiety and fear, sorrow, sin. Remember who God is. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He wants what's best for you. He takes no joys in your failures. He has killed his own son to save and redeem you. God loves you. He unconditionally loves you. You. You who have committed sin against him. He loves you. Unconditionally, he loves you. And once we believe that, once that really is sunk deep down in our hearts, once that changes us, we cannot help but praise him. 
So to close, I just want to read the first part of that psalm one more time in light of this grace that we've been shown. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So friends, this morning, we're going to take some time. We're going to have some reflection questions on the screen. I want you to deal with the Lord, with yourself. Get introspective, but pray to the Lord to help you. What are the objections in your heart and what is the truth about who God is that meets those? How can grace change you today? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to take some time to wrestle with that. Lord, thank you so much. You've been good to us. You have given us what we have not deserved. You've given us love and mercy and grace. Help us to believe it, God. Help us to know it deeply, intrinsically. Help us not to be shattered in times of hardship, but to be fortified by our knowledge of who you are and what you want for us and what you have done for us. God, we pray these things trusting in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.